0: In verse number 114 we learn that of the greatest crimes near Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that a person should stop people from going to the masjid and that he stops people from remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the masjid. And then this person strives hard to destroy the masjid, the kharaab of the masjid. And we learned that the kharab of the masjid is of two types. One is that a person physically harms a masjid whether it is that destroys the property of the masjid or any kind of physical destruction that is caused to the masjid. And the other is the intangible kharab, which is that there's so much chaos, meaning so much disturbance within the masjid that a person doesn't feel comfortable in there. You know, for example, there are some places where as soon as you go, you just want to get out of there. Have you ever felt like that? Like for example, if you go to a place and it's very loud, very noisy, people are arguing, or people are fighting, or for example, you go and people are staring at you, they're not welcoming you, or for instance, there's a lot of bad smell, so then you just want to get out of there as quickly as possible. So this is the harab of the masjid, doing something to the masjid so that people do not want to come there. As a result, the masjid becomes what? Empty. It's abandoned. It's an empty building. It may be very fancy, but it's actually empty. There is no real worship. There is no community. There is no brotherhood. There is no sisterhood. So this is a great crime in the sight of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. Then Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala tells us that ma kana lahum an illa khaifeen. that these people should not enter the masjid except in a state of fear, except while fearing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this tells us that the proper etiquette of going to the masjid is that a person must always be fearful of who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You see, when you go to somebody's house, are you conscious of the owner of that house? Like for example, you're not going to slam the door as you slam the door of your own house. You're not going to maybe throw a tissue somewhere as you do in your own house. You're not even going to leave dirty dishes somewhere as you do in your own house. Why? Because when you go to somebody's house, part of respecting them is that you respect their property also. Part of showing respect to someone is that you respect their place, their home, their property. So when we go to the masjid, what should we remember? We are going to whose house? Allah's house. So who should we think about? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Who should we be conscious of? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the proper etiquette of entering the masjid. And those people who violate the sanctity of the masjid, or they disrespect it in any way, whether it is that they dirty it, or they cause fights in there, or they raise their voices, things like that. Then such people, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, لَهُمْ فِي الدُّنْيَا خِزْيٌ وَلَهُمْ فِي الْآخِرَةِ عَذَابٌ عَظِيمٌ For them is disgrace in this world, and in the hereafter is a great punishment. So this is an action which is punishable when? In this life, and also in the next life. So what do we learn from this ayah? What do we learn from this ayah? Should we destroy masajid or should we build them? What should we do? Destroy them or build them? Build them. Is there any reward for building a masjid? Is there? What's the reward? We learn in a hadith that the one who builds a masjid, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will build for him the same thing in Jannah. Meaning whatever kind of masjid you make, whatever kind of building you make for the purpose of worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala something similar will be made for you where? in Jannah you know Uthman radiallahu anhu the third Khalifa he renovated the masjid of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and when he renovated it you know he took it a step up in the sense that he made sure that it wasn't just strong in its structure it also looked nice so some people they criticized him that why are you making the masjid look nice As in, it should be simple, there's no need for any decoration, etc. So, Uthman who finally he said, that, oh people, you have said enough. Meaning, I've heard enough from you. I don't need to hear any more criticism from you. And he said, that I heard the Prophet ﷺ say, that whoever builds a mosque, seeking by it the face of Allah, meaning he does it for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then Allah will build the same for him in Jannah. Allah will build for him the same in Jannah. So Uthman رضي الله عنه, did not just want to make the masjid or fix it up. He wanted it to look nice. Why? Because he wanted a nice place for himself in Jannah. What does this teach us? That we should treat the masjid just as we treat our own Houses, Or even better. So just as we are particular about the cleanliness and the peace in our homes, we should be concerned about the cleanliness and the peace. Where? In a masjid also. Mashallah, I was so happy last week when we had our party after the food. Mashallah, mashallah, so many of you participated in cleaning up that... Honestly, later on, it didn't even look like a couple hundred people ate here. MashaAllah. No crumbs, nothing at all, because everything was picked up. The garbage was thrown away, and the carpet was vacuumed. See, this is what you would do where? In your house. When people come, when you have guests over, when they leave, what do you do? Just leave the dishes, leave the mess everywhere, yeah? Or do you fix it up? You clean it up, right? That is exactly how we should be treating the masjid of Allah. And if we have a different standard for the masjid, then there's a big problem. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلِلَّهِ الْمَشْرِقُ وَالْمَغْرِبُ And to Allah belong the mashrik and the maghrib. What is the mashrik? Mashrik is from the root letters Sheen Raqaf and mashrik is the place of shuruq. What is shuruq? Rising of the sun. So what is that place from where the sun rises? It's the east. So Mashrīq is east. Maghrib, Maghrib is the place of Ghurub from the root letters ra. and Ghurub is the setting of the sun. So Maghrib, the place of the sunset, which is which direction? West. So Mashrīq, east. Maghrib, west. To Allah belong the east and the west. Does this mean that the north and south don't? No, of course they do. See, the thing is that each person's east and west are different in the sense that, you know, like you have north, south, east, west. Right? So if you are facing north, the direction on your right side will be your east. But if there's a person standing against you, meaning facing you, they're facing south, then the direction on the right side will be west. So east and west, what do they mean? Opposite directions. East and west meaning opposite directions. So to Allah belong the east and the west, meaning everything. The sunrise, the sunset, the direction to your right, the direction to your left. So no matter where in the world you are, and no matter what direction you face, that place belongs to who? Who does it belong to? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Meaning the entire creation belongs to Allah. وَلِلَّهِ الْمَشْرِقُ وَالْمَغْرِبُ فَأَيْنَّمَا So, wherever, Ainama means wheresoever, tuwallu, you all face. Tuwallu, from the root letters, lam ya. Meaning, in whatever direction you face, whatever side you turn towards, فَثَمَّ وَجْهُ اللَّهِ Then ثَمَّ right there, or there is وَجْهُ اللَّهِ face of Allah. ثَمَّ means there. It's used for pointing towards a certain place. So there is وَجْهُ اللَّهِ Now, وَجْ means face. What does it mean by this? اللَّهُ We'll just look at it in a minute, but let's complete the ayah first. In Allah Indeed, Allah is wasir, vast, and alim, all-knowing. The name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wasir is from the root letters waw, And wus'ah means vastness. What is vastness? Opposite of tightness. What is tightness? When something is small, limited, constricted, like, for example, some of you might be sitting like that. You're very close to the person sitting next to you. You barely have any space. And some of you are sitting with wus'ah. So much space that two people could fit between you and the person sitting next to you. So, wus'ah is vastness, spaciousness. So, Allah is wasir. He is all vast. This means two things. So, the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wasir. I want you to write two points about this. First of all, that he is wasir in his control, in his authority. Vast in his kingdom. Meaning there is nothing except that it belongs to Allah. There is nothing except that it is under Allah. It is in his control. Because he is wasir. There is nothing beyond him. There's nothing that escapes him. Nothing at all. Nothing big and nothing small. Secondly, Allah is wasir, meaning He is wasir in His attributes, in His qualities. What about people or the creation? How are their qualities, their attributes? Are they limited? Big time. Like, for example, when it comes to knowledge, how much knowledge do we have? A certain amount. When it comes to wisdom, is there a limit to our wisdom? In some situations, we can be so wise. We can act so smartly, so patiently, so carefully. And in other situations, what happens to us? We act like babies. Hmm? So Allah is wasi'a, meaning in all of His qualities. In His knowledge, He is all-encompassing. In His wisdom, in His power, in His mercy, He is all encompassing. In His forgiveness, in what He hears, in what He sees, there is nothing that escapes Him. So, in Allah, wasi'un alim. Now, what does this ayah mean? I want you to look at the ayah. Allah is saying, to Allah belong the East and the West. So, in whatever direction you face, there is the face of Allah. Because Allah, inna Allah وَاسِعٌ Alim, He is vast, He is encompassing. Now, you see in the previous ayah, we learned about the masjid. Correct? We learned about the masjid. Now what happens is, that sometimes, actually many times, people think that religiosity, meaning being religious, is where? In the mosque. So when you go to the mosque, you pray when you go to the mosque you watch your manners when you go to the mosque you watch how you talk to people etc you remember allah so on and so forth but when you are somewhere else then you do as you please so for example if you're somewhere else even if it's time to pray well it's okay and if you're somewhere else and you know there comes an opportunity where you can disobey allah you're like oh it's okay i'll do it i'll take it but what do we learn al-maghrib. Every place belongs to Allah. Which means that no matter where in the world we go, we are still whose servant? Whose servant? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's servant. So we have to speak the truth inside the masjid and outside the masjid. When it is time to pray, yes, we pray in the masjid and also where? Outside the masjid. When it comes to watching our manners, watching our clothing, or whatever it is that is important, we pay attention to that in the masjid, and also where? Outside the masjid. So religion is not limited to the mosque. It should be done where? Anywhere and everywhere. Because فَأَيْنَمَا تُوَلُّوا فَثَمَّ وَجْهُ اللَّهُ Wherever you face, there is the face of Allah. What does this mean? Two things. This means two things. First of all, what this means is that in general terms, wherever you go, you will find Allah before you. What does it mean? No matter where you are, where you go, Allah is before you. You are always Allah's servant, He is always watching you. He's not just watching you when you're in the masjid. He's also watching you when you're in the mall, when you're at school, when you're at a friend's house, when you're in the basement. He's watching you everywhere. Even at Wonderland, who are you? Allah's servant. You understand? So do not forget Allah no matter where you go. This is something very normal. That when you go to the masjid, all of a sudden, you know, you feel like, yes, I'm supposed to be a good person now. Yes, I'm supposed to pray. I'm supposed to, you know, do this and that. But everywhere you are Allah's servant because Allah is still watching you. Secondly, what this means is, تُوَلُّوا فَثَمَّ وَجْهُ اللَّهِ this is specifically about prayer, about salah. Meaning when you intend to worship Allah, when you want to worship Allah, then no matter what direction you face, you are facing Allah. Who are you facing? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. تُوَلُّوا فَثَمَّ وَجْهُ اللَّهِ We learned that once the Prophet Wasallam, he was in the masjid and he saw that on the wall of the masjid, there was some phlegm. You know what phlegm is? What you spit out when you were congested. So somebody had, spit that out, Where? onto the wall of the masjid. So the Prophet ﷺ did not like that. So you know what he did? He took like a small pebble, a small rock, and he scraped it off. He cleaned it. He didn't say, oh, nasty, disgusting. Who would ever do that? And what's wrong with you people? No. He just went and cleaned it up. He fixed it up. And then he addressed the people. He told them that, إِذَا كَانَ أَحَدُكُمْ يصلي, When one of you is praying salah, then he should not spit in front of him. Sometimes it happens is you're praying salah, all of a sudden you had a big cough, and now there's stuff in your mouth. Don't swallow it. You gotta get it out. So what do you do? Perhaps somebody was in a situation like that, and they just spit that out in front of themselves. The Prophet ﷺ said, don't do that. Maybe they did that, and that's how it landed on the wall. He said, don't do that. Why? فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ قِبَلَ وَجْهِهِ إِذَا صَلَّىٰ Because Allah is in front of him when he is praying. When you are praying, who is before you? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. فَثَمَّ وَجْهُ الله. So remember that Allah is before you. So have some respect in the manner that you stand, in the manner that you speak. In the manner that you look, which is why we learned that when a person is praying and he looks away, he looks away from where he should be looking at, it's ignored. But then if he looks away again and again, then Allah also turns away from him. Allah also turns away from him. Why? Because it shows that this person is not really interested in prayer. Has it ever happened with you that you're talking to someone and they are... You know, kind of staring at you, but you know, they're not listening to you. Has that ever happened? Their eyes keep going where? To their phone. So they're like, "Uh uh-huh, what? So they're distracted. When they're distracted, do you want to talk to them? Do you want to talk to them? No. Do you want to carry on that conversation with them? No, because that's not really a conversation. So when we are praying, what is it that we need to remember? That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is before us. So let us pay attention. Let us fear Him. And let us talk to Him in the most respectful manner. Allah اللَّهَ Indeed, Allah is all-encompassing and knowing. Now, we learned that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed that, Udu'uni Astajib Lakum, Call upon me and I will answer you. So some people ask that when we make du'a, which direction should we face? Like do we have to face the qibla? So then this ayah was revealed that no, no matter where and when you remember Allah, you call upon Him, you make du'a to Him, you will find Him where? Before you. He will hear you. You don't need wudu to make du'a. You don't need to sit on a prayer mat to make du'a. You don't need to be in a masjid and masjid only to remember Allah. No matter where you are, you turn to Allah, you will find Him before you. This is how much Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala cares about us. No matter where and when we turn to Him, He will be before us. Are there people who tell you, if you need anything, let me know? Do people say that to you? If you need anything, let me know. So you call them, what happens? No answer. You message them, what happens? No answer. You think that you know you could be besties with them or something, and then what happens? They just leave your messages on read. They leave your snaps on opened. That's it. They don't respond. What kind of a friendship is that? We keep turning to people, listen to me, help me, look at me, praise me, watch me. But people are people. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, no matter when and where you turn to Him, you will find Him before you. فَأَيْنَمَا تُوَلُّوا فَثَمَّ وَجْهُ اللَّهُ إِنَّ اللَّهَ وَاسِعٌ عَلِيمٌ Now this ayah also tells us that when it comes to praying in a car, or in a plane, or in a train, or something like that, where you're not able to face the qibla. You know what I mean? Like for example, you are in a situation where you cannot face the qibla. You're sitting in the plane, you have a tiny seat. So then you're like, okay, the qibla, I don't even know which direction it is. I mean, the Kaaba is technically kilometers beneath me. Right? So which direction do I face? Don't worry about it. When you are not able to face the qibla, then you don't need to worry about it. Why? Because no matter which direction you face, Allah is before you. Now, this doesn't mean that you don't pay attention to checking which direction the qibla is. You have to do your best. But where you are not able to because of sickness, or because you don't have a way of telling which way the qibla is, then don't worry about it. وَقَالُوا And they said, اِتَّخَذَ اللَّهُ وَلَدَا They said, meaning Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is wasir, He is alim, He is so vast in His attributes he is the owner of everything but yet what do people do they say that it walada allah has taken a child look at the zulm of people they attribute a child to allah now you see this word walad is from the root letters waw dal and walad is a word that can refer to one child or even many children it can refer to a male child and even a female child so, different people say different things. Some people say Allah has a son. Some say Allah has daughters. Some attribute multiple or one children to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. No matter what they say, this is all false. We see that, for example, the Christians, they said that Isa salam is a son of Allah. Or the people of Arabia, they would say that the angels are daughters of Allah. Like, seriously. They're not female. Are angels male or female? Exactly. Gender doesn't apply to them, right? But the pagans, the people of Arabia, they used to think that angels are Allah's daughters. So, وَقَالُوا اتَّخَذَ اللَّهُ subhanahu subhanahu. He is glorified, He is perfect. Allah is perfect. He is far above this weakness that He should have a child. No, he does not have a child. samawati wal ard. Rather, to him belongs whatever that is in the skies and the earth. Meaning, everything that exists is whose creation? Allah's creation. Allah owns it. So whether it is angels, or it is Prophet Isa or it is Prophet Uzair salam, because some people, they said that Uzair salam, he was also a prophet, he's Allah's son. Whoever it is, they are not Allah's children, rather they are Allah's creation. كُلُّ لَهُ قَانِتُونَ All are to Him devoutly obedient. The word قَانِتُونَ is a plural of قَانِت. And قَانِت is one who is in a state of قُنُوت. Alright, قُنُوت, you tell me the root. قَاف, نُون, ta. And قُنُوت is to continuously obey. So Qunut is to obey how? In what manner? Continuously. Alright, firstly, continuously. Secondly, humbly also, with humility. So, kullu لَهُ قانتون, All of these people, or these angels, who you claim that they are Allah's children. They're not Allah's children, they're Allah's servants. They obey Him, they worship Him. With humility and with consistency. So we see over here that this False belief of people is being refuted. Those who say that Allah has children. Now, you see, what you own, something that belongs to you, does not become your child. Some people, you know, they really love their stuff. Like for example, a person loves his car or her car. And so what do they do? They even name their car. Have you seen people doing that or heard of people doing that? Right? They will give a name to their car. And they will refer to their car as if their car was a person. Isn't it? And they will sometimes even go and kiss it. I mean, it's okay. It's okay to love your stuff. No harm. But the thing is, that your car, no matter how much you love it, does not become your child. There is no biological connection between you and your car. You could say that there is some chemistry. Okay? Right? If you really you know, into your car. Okay, but that's just it. Your car does not become your child. Your cat, you could love your cat. And you could consider yourself as your cat's mom, or your cat's dad, or whatever. That's how people refer to pet owners, right? This dog's mom or this cat's mom, right? It doesn't mean that you become its mom or dad. Yes, there's a very close relationship, a very loving relationship, but that does not mean that you've become the parent of the thing that you love. You love your bag. Would you say that this is my child? This is my son? I mean, if you say that, it's kind of absurd. So, now, people, what they did is that the individuals who have a very high status near Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because of their piety, because of their righteousness, like for example Isa or for example the angels, what did they say? Oh, you know what? They're so close to Allah. You know what? They're actually Allah's children. This is a false claim. Allah does not have children, He is one and unique. One and unique. And you see, why do people need children, or why do animals need children? Why? Why is reproduction necessary? Otherwise, they'll go extinct. Isn't it? So, this is a means of survival. Right? That in order for that species to continue to exist, reproduction is necessary. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He is al-hay, al-lavi la yamut, the ever-living one who does not die, who will not die. We just learned that He is wasir in all of His attributes. Does He need children? No, he does not need them. Why else do people need children? People need children because they feel incomplete without a child. They feel incomplete unless and until they become a parent, because it's part of human experience. So they say that, okay, even if I can't get married, or even if I haven't found the perfect spouse, whatever, I still want to be a parent. So this is what? A weakness, that you feel incomplete without a child. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He is complete and perfect in and of Himself. He does not need someone to complete Him. He does not need something to perfect Him. He is already perfect. He is wasir. Right? So, وَقَالُوا اتَّخَذَ اللَّهُ وَلَدَى سُبْحَانَهُ بَلَّهُ مَّا فِي wal Everything belongs to Allah. The Prophet wasallam said, listen to this hadith very carefully, That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that the son of Adam, meaning the human being, tells a lie against me. And he has no right to do so. And he abuses me. And by abuse, what is meant is curse. You know when you call someone a bad word or address them with a bad word? So he abuses me. There are some people who abuse Allah. And they have no right to do so. Allah says, as for his telling a lie against me, it is that he claims that I cannot recreate him as I created him before. And as for his abusing me, it is his saying that I have children. So saying that Allah has a child is as evil as cursing Allah. Do you understand? It's as bad as cursing Allah. It's insulting Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You see, when somebody says, a bad word to you. They have insulted you. They have insulted you. They have degraded you. They have not shown respect to you, the respect that you deserve. So when someone says that Allah has a child, they have insulted Allah. Because what they're saying is that Allah is incomplete without a child. He needs a child to become perfect. Or he is weak. This is why he needs children. So this is a false statement and this is a very serious statement and it's an evil statement. Allah says, "Kullu lahu All the creation are obedient to Him. All of the creation are obedient to Him. Now, when it comes to kunut, remember that there's two types of kunut. When it comes to this devout obedience, there's two types, and we all need to think about it, okay? About both of them. The first type of kunut is kunut am. Kunut am. What does that mean? General surrender and obedience to Allah. And the entire creation is part of this. Like for example, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decides that, let's say you should be born on a certain date, do you have a choice over there? Do you have a choice over there? No, you don't. If Allah decides that you should fall ill on a certain date, do you have a choice over there? No. So this is... Obedience, surrender of the entire creation. Whether it is human beings, or it is animals, or it is trees, angels, the sky, clouds, whatever. Everything is doing what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants it to do. The second type of qunut is qunut khas. A special kind of obedience. And what is that? This is the obedience which is in the form of worship. It is in the form of worship. So, for example, the angels glorify and praise Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala non-stop. There are some people Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala describes them in the Quran that fi fi Somebody complete the ayah. One is khayruun and another is da'imun. Those who are da'imun in their prayers. You know what da'im means? Constant. Constantly in prayer. Does this mean that they are only praying salah all the time? It means that they are consistent with their prayers. Not a day goes by except that they turn to Allah. Not a portion of the day goes by except that they turn to Allah. They worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They remember Him. They seek His help. They seek His forgiveness. So, All of the creation is doing قُنُوت am. But then there are certain servants of Allah who are doing qunud khas. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us amongst them. Allah says, wal-ard." Allah is the originator of the heavens and the earth, the skies and the earth. The word badir is from the root letters bada al-ayn. And bad'a is basically to invent something. To invent something. To make something that's new. Okay. Have you heard of the word bid'a? Bidat? Some of you have? Okay. Innovation. Have you heard of the concept of innovation? Right? Innovation in religion. That is that when people invent things in religion that did not exist at the time of the Prophet ﷺ. Right. For example, if a person says that when somebody dies, then on the 40th day after their death, then we have to do some kind of gathering in which we do certain things. So, did the Prophet ﷺ do that? So, Badir, innovator, meaning the one who invented. The skies and the earth. You see, anything that we make as human beings, no matter how creative we are, in reality we are stealing ideas. Or we are just copying what we have seen. We are imitating what we have seen. We take something from here, something from there, something from there, we blend it all up, and then we make something and we say, this is so creative. But, it is still an imitation. The ideas were stolen, were taken from somewhere. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when He created the skies and the earth, was there any sky that existed before? No. Was there any earth that existed before? No. samawati wal-ard. He is the creator, the inventor of all that you see. وَإِذَا قَضَى أَمْرًا And when he decides a matter, فَإِنَّمَا يَقُولُ لَهُ كُنْ فَيَكُونَ When he decides a matter, then he only says to it, be, and what happens? It happens. It comes about. كُنْ means be. فَيَكُونُ means then it is. It happens. Now, what is this ayah telling us? That when everything belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when He is the owner, the creator, why would he need children? I mean, a child is needed by someone who is weak. Everything is God's creation. So how could the creation be? His child, his children. He is the originator. When there was nothing, he brought it all into existence. So Allah is independent, he is perfect, and he does not need children. Now you see, some people they said that Isa is Allah's child because how could Isa be born without a father? For any human being to come into existence, then there needs to be a mother and a father. How could he be born just from a mother? Well, إِذَا قَضَى أَمْرًا فَإِنَّمَا يَقُولُ لَهُ كُنْ فيكون. It's not difficult for Allah to make Isa salam. Because all he has to say is, "be." if he could create the skies and the earth, could he not create one human being? Could he not do that? He could. You see, in Surah Ghafir, verse 57, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, akbar min The creation of the skies and the earth is bigger, greater, than the creation of all people. And then, elsewhere in the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also tells us that the creation of Prophet Isa is just like the creation of Adam alayhi salam. Who was Adam alayhi salam's mother? Who was Adam alayhi salam's mother? And who was Adam alayhi salam's father? No one. Allah created Adam from what? From mud, because Allah is badi' al wal-ard. So can He not create Isa alayhi salam as He pleases? He can. So we don't need to complicate the situation and say that oh, He has to be God's son. No, He's not. Allah is not in need of any children. Everything belongs to Him. We will listen to the recitation from verse number 114.
1: وَمَنْ أَظْلَمُ مِمَّنْ من مَنَعَ مَسَاجِدَ اللَّهِ يُذْكَرَ فِيهَا وَسَعَى فِي خَرَابِهَا مَا كَانَ لَهُمْ في الدنيا خزيون ولهم في الاخره عذاب عظيم ولله المشرق والمغرب فاينما تولوا فثم وجه الله ان الله واسع عليم وقالوا اتخذ الله ولدا Bodyguard is مَا one whos the one whos the السَّمَاوَاتِ whos وَإِذَا one whos
0: the يَقُولُ whos the